Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast featuring lead pastor Doug Sherman. For more information about Grace Harvest Church, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you as Pastor Doug shares this week's message. Anyway, today we're going to continue the series we've been on called Heart Matters, and my message for you today is there is hope for your future. Amen. There is hope for your future. If you've been around here any amount of time, you know that I love the things that kids say and kids pray. Children crack me up, and I often start sermons with things that kids say, and uh, I have some prayers from kids today because one thing I've noticed about children is children always have hope for the future. You ever notice that? Kids haven't been jaded yet. They haven't drank the cynicism of life. They haven't got their butts kicked so bad that they can't even see with hope anymore, right? Life hasn't beat them up too badly yet. So I love some of these things. This one from Debbie, seven years old. She says, dear God, please send a new baby for mommy. The new baby you sent last week cries too much. And then, dear God, who did you make smarter, boys or girls? My sister and I want to know. Dear God, this is my prayer. This is Angela. Could you please give my brother some brains? So far, he doesn't have any. Dear Lord, this is from Hank, seven years old. Thank you for the nice day today. You even fooled the TV weatherman. Dear God, please bring me a new brother. The one I got punches me all the time. I like this one. Dear God, can you please help me in school? I just need help in spelling, adding, history, geography, and writing. I don't need help in anything else. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> check, 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 check. There's no, there's no boxes left open after that. Dear Lord, tomorrow is my birthday. Could you please put a rainbow in the sky? I knew the awe was coming on that. I just... Dear God, I need a raise in my allowance. Could you please have one of your angels tell my father? (laughs) And dear God, I'm saying my prayers for me and my brother Billy because Billy is six months old and he can't do anything but sleep and poop his diapers. (laughs) That's from Diane, eight years old. I love kids. I love how they have a sense of hope about everything. Everything is taken with wide-eyed wonder. They look at the world around them with wide-eyed wonder. But we, we know as we grow up and we get older and we're exposed to more and more life and we see the reality and the pain of life that we live in an uncertain world, things can change like that really quickly. We live in a world filled with people like us who sin against God and each other. Sin produces terrible fruit and terrible consequences. We live in a world where accidents happen where cancer and heart disease and war are realities. We live in a world of natural disasters and sudden weather changes that can ruin a good day real fast. How do we live with hope in a world like this? That's what I want to talk about today. Do we put our trust in science or human ingenuity or politicians? Oh God, please don't do that. You will be very disappointed. How about the utopian plans devised by other fallen sinners just like us? Let me tell you, if somebody comes along and they tell you that they got it figured out how to make the world not not just a better place, because we all want to do that, but the world a perfect place, just know that you're getting ready to be sold something, and it's probably poison. The only answer for those of us who are really searching is found in the God of hope. 
Hope is the fruit of trusting in the one who is ultimately in control of his creation and is working all things out for his own good and our good. Today we're going to look at a well-known passage on hope and a future, and we're going to learn about true hope. So I'm going to take you to a text that many of us have, you know, we've put it on our Facebook page, maybe you have a plaque in your house, maybe it's your keynote text for your life, and it's Jeremiah 29, 11. and I'm going to add verse 12 here, but I'd like you to read it out loud with me if you would, it's up here on the screens, let's read this out loud together. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. Let's stop for a minute. That doesn't mean the government program welfare. I just want to make that clear, okay? Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you, come on, let's keep reading, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. Now, before I actually get into Jeremiah 29, by the way, if you have a Bible, whether it's a digital Bible on your phone or a paper Bible, will you turn to Jeremiah 29 right now? Have your finger there. Have it marked. Right? I'm not going to have the main section of, of Scripture that we teach on today on the screens. I want you to look in your Bibles with me. And the thing that I want you to see today, as we get ready to get into the text, I have to set it up. I have to give you background. I have to lead into it. So as we get ready to get into the text... The first point I want to bring out is that the stories of the Bible, the stories of Scripture, are written to be an example to us, amen? And as you read the Scripture, as you read the Old Testament, for instance, many people don't, some of you in this room, you probably avoid reading the Old Testament because it's got some weird stuff in there you don't understand. My sister texted me the other day, I wish I had my phone up here, she texts me, she says, Doug... She's just recently come back to faith. She says, I'm doing the reading through the Bible thing, and I'm in the book of Leviticus. Can anybody relate? She's like, what the heck? And I tried to give her some hope to hang in there and not give up. But the Scripture teaches about itself that the Bible is is written. All of the Old Testament stories are written as an example to us. Look, for instance, at these two uh, New Testament texts from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and Romans chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6 and 11. Look what it says here. It says, now these things, the these things it's talking about are the Old Testament stories specifically about Moses and the nation of Israel in the wilderness and God's dealings with them. It says, now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil. As they did. Verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Now look at Romans 15, verse 4, New Living Translations translation here. It says, such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. They give us hope and encouragement. Notice that. They give us hope and and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises. Now, if I take those two texts, this is what I learn about the the stories in the Bible. First of all, all the stories and the history of the Old Testament are to serve as examples to us. Why is that important? Because a lot of believers that I know, a lot of Christ followers don't read their Bibles. We don't read our Bibles anymore. I know a lot of Christians that don't read the Bible, and yet God has given you Scripture to serve as an example about what not to do and about what to do in order to serve Him and follow Him. 
Secondly, these things happen and were written for our admonition. That word means warning. We need to be warned. We live in an age with a lot of error, a lot of twisted concepts. Even God's truth is being taken and distorted. It's always been that way. And we need to recognize that God has given us the scripture to warn us. Watch out. Because there's nothing new under the sun. The same errors that deceived Christians 2,000 years ago, 1,500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 400 years ago, are the same devices that our adversary is using today to distort truth. Number three, these things were written to teach us. And number four, these things were written to give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises. And that's important. And what I want to talk about today is hope. And I I want to be sure before you leave here that you have a clear picture of real hope as contrasted to false hope. And the scripture teaches that our hope is to be in God, not in temporary things. What is hope? The dictionary Bible theme says this, in scripture, hope is a confident expectation for the future, describing both the act of hoping and the object hoped for. When grounded in God, hope provides the motivation to live the Christian life even in the face of trouble. Hope means more than a vague wish that something will happen. It is a sure and confident expectation in God's future faithfulness and presence. Psalm 146.5 gives us an example of this. It says, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Notice what it says. Hope is in the Lord his God. Why does it say that? Because there's false hope. Many of us have, have kind of bitten from that fruit. We've bitten the fruit of false hope. False hope is when we wish things to be better and turn out good in the end. False hope looks to outward circumstances to be better. False hope is the hope that people or money or the future will be okay because we hope it will. False hope always has its focus on our circumstances and not on God. And that's really important. It's possible for you and I to call something hope that isn't hope. It's really just wishing. Like instead of making our focus God, we make our focus the circumstance. We want our marriage to be better. We want our job to be better. We want our friendships to be better. We want church to be better, right? And we put our focus on that thing and we hope and we hope that it will change and we miss the fact that we need to look beyond the circumstance to what's behind the circumstance and that is the God who created everything. And our hope needs to be in Him because when our hope is in Him and circumstances don't change and they don't come out better, we're not destroyed, we're not crushed, we're not disillusioned, we're not ruined. So it's so important we make sure that the object of our hope is not on circumstantial things, but on the God who controls all of creation. And a good example of this is 1 Timothy 6.17. Look at what it says here. As for the rich in this present age. By the way, that would be a majority of us in this room. You may not see yourself as rich, but comparatively to the rest of the world, if you live in North America, you're in the top 20 percentile of the wealthiest people in the world. Did you know that? Just living here makes you wealthy. Even if you're struggling right now, even if you're going paycheck to paycheck, you're living at a higher 
I've been around the world. I've been in poor places. Let me tell you, it's true. Okay, so as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Why does it say that? Why does it warn? Because we know that when people get money and things start going good and you're experiencing success, you have a tendency to kind of think that you're a little better, you worked harder, you, you, know, you got it figured out, and other people are a little bit lesser than you. And so he's warning them, don't be haughty, that's proud. Nor, look at this, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Notice the contrast. Don't put your hope on riches. Riches, is going, riches will let you down. They're uncertain. We know this. The stock market can crash in a day. The real estate market could go in the toilet right now. It did 11 years ago. We saw it happen with our own eyes. Circumstances, riches can turn in a moment. Your 401k can be in trouble real quick. But if your hope is in God and you recognize that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning, when you recognize that it's all from His hand, that everything good and perfect comes from Him, then you can enjoy it and you recognize it's not what you're trusting in. Amen? Now this takes me to my main point today. All that was set up. But my main point today is that there is a hope and a future for those who trust in God. And before we get into Jeremiah 29, and we're going to start in the fourth verse, and we're going to go through the 14th verse, before we get into that, I want to give you some background because it's really important that you understand the background of Jeremiah 29. Now, Jeremiah 29, 11 is not, can you say not? Not. Not. Yes, use a British accent, it's much cooler. (laughs) Jeremiah 29, 11 is not a verse that can be taken out of context And used to prove that everything you hope for will happen and is guaranteed by God. Jeremiah 29.11 is set within the larger context of God's people of Israel receiving a word of hope in the midst of their captivity in Babylon. Babylon was an evil nation that worshipped idols and they had conquered and burned Jerusalem and many other cities in Judah. As you study the Bible, one of the things that you're going to see is that Babylon is the antithesis, antithesis, I can't say the word right now. You know the word I'm talking about. It's the contrast, the opposite. It is, the, it is in opposition to Jerusalem. Jerusalem represents the people of God. Babylon represents the spirit of the world, the spirit of the age. In, in Genesis, we see Babylon, and in Revelation, we see Babylon. Babylon begins in the beginning and ends in the end. It's everywhere they are contrasted to the people of God, to to Jerusalem. And one of the things that that happened in the Old Testament is that this nation that had burned Jerusalem and burned all these cities also killed thousands of Jews. And they took thousands more of the Jewish people captive and they brought them to Babylon and they resettled them. God allowed this because His own people had become very immoral and violent. It got so bad that His own people sacrificed their own children to idols. They gave up their children to idols. And so, in the midst of all of this, God removed His protection from them. And He allowed their enemy Babylon to capture them. He told them that they would be captive for 70 years. 
false prophets came along while they were in captivity and began to tell them that they, would re- they should return to Jerusalem now, cast off their bonds, and rebuild the city. And so God speaks to the people in Babylon through Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29, and this is his answer to them. So we're going to read the answer now. Verse 3, Jeremiah 29, are you there? Everybody looking at their Bibles? Let's go. Verse 4, thus says the Lord God of hosts. The word hosts could be translated armies. So that'll give you context. God's saying, I'm the one who fights for my people. Thus says the Lord God of armies, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and I'll bring you back to this place. Look at this, verse 11. Now you see the context. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I'll bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Okay, now do you see the context behind the text where the Lord says to his people, you know, I know the plans I have for you. I'm going to give you welfare and not evil, a future and a hope, right? God's saying that in the midst of a people who are in bondage in Babylon. Now, a couple of biblical principles before I break down this text and stay with me. But first of all, when we read the Bible, listen carefully to what I'm about to say, There is only one way to interpret the text, but many ways to apply it. I hear Christians all the time. They say, well, it just depends on your interpretation. No, it doesn't. No, that's wrong. Now, there is debate. I I will say this. There are texts in the Bible that are very troublesome. There are texts in the Bible that are hard to interpret. There are texts in the Bible that Christians have debated on for thousands of years. But in the original... There is only one way to interpret a text, but many ways to apply it. That's what's known as biblical hermeneutics. Biblical hermeneutics is the study of interpretation, the art or the science of interpreting the text. So when we look at the text, there's one way to interpret it, but many ways to apply it. The Bible, listen to this, the Bible was written to them, but for us. That's really important. When this text was written, it wasn't written to you and I. It was written a long time ago. Jeremiah lived about 600 years before Jesus. So this text was written 
2,600 years ago to a specific people who were in captivity in Babylon. It was not written to you and I, but it was written for us as an example, as a warning to teach us, to instruct us, and to give us hope and encouragement. That's what we read earlier. You following me? Because Jesus is the Word made flesh and the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament, One principle we use when interpreting the Bible is to lay the life of Jesus over the Old Testament. So this is the last principle I want to share with you before we get into the text. When we as Christians look back at the Bible, we are to read the scripture with the idea of the person of Jesus laid over the entire Old Testament. He becomes an interpretive filter through which we read the Bible. So when we look back in the Old Testament, we look through the life of Jesus and he casts a shadow on all the Old Testament. Testament texts, and he brings, actually, he brings light, not a shadow. He brings light to all the Old Testament texts, and he brings them into new revelation and interprets them to us in our context. So when we read the Bible, we can look back and we can see the redemption story of Jesus told in the captivity of the children of Israel. Does that make sense? Okay, so with that, with all that said, now let's get into the text. Here's some things that the writer wrote to us. Jeremiah and his scribe Baruch wrote to us, and here's some things that apply to our life, how to live with hope. Number one, build, plant, and eat. He says, the pain of the past and present, the fear of the future, must not keep us bound in fear or rebellion. God's people in captivity were to make the most of their situation and live as though they were the people of God right there in their captivity. What's the bottom line? Go on with your normal lives. Why is this important? Because we live in a time of fear. We live in a time where the media, social media, All of the news of what's going on in the world is telling us continually, be afraid, don't make plans, don't come up with a vision for your life, whatever you do, don't make goals, stop trying to move forward, don't have families, don't believe for good things in God because things are so dark and so evil. Secondly, build the family and increase. This is not the time to fear the future and quit planning for a multi-generational vision. Many Christians today are so afraid of the end times or world events that they are not raising up future generations. Even in captivity, we are to be fruitful and multiply. The bottom line principle is build the family. I know people who won't have kids. I know people who are afraid to have kids. And their their reasoning is it's really bad. It's going to be worse for them. Why would I want to bring children into this world? And that is such a ripoff and such a lie because the hope for our world has always come through the birth of a baby. You realize that? 2,000 years ago, a baby was born. That baby was the Messiah. His name was Jesus. Um, 1,500 years before that, a baby was born. His name was Moses. Pharaoh tried to kill him. Herod tried to kill the babies in the time of Jesus. Both times when the culture was trying to kill the babies, God raised up saviors. He raised up deliverers. I'm telling you, we need to build the family and build with a multi-generational vision because answers to the problems we face today and many of the dark things we see are contained in the life of a child. Such a ripoff, such a lie that's being told to us. Number three, seek the peace and the blessing of God for the place you live. God loves our city, 
our state, our nation. He wants us to be a blessing conduit to our city. We're to pray for its peace. We're to make the best of our place. This is really important. He tells them. Did you notice what he said in the text? Remember, they're in Babylon. Let me, let me give you context. They're Jews from Jerusalem that worship Yahweh, the one true God. Now they're captives in a city where everywhere they look, there's idolatry and violence and sexual immorality run amok. Everywhere they look, their values are being assaulted and the things that they believe, there's contrary messages coming their way. And what does God tell them? Seek the welfare of the city you're in. Pray for peace. Pray for blessing. Can you imagine they must have thought, what is God up to? He's telling us to bless a place that's so dark, yes. And he's telling us the same thing. I mean, some of you that are sitting here right now, you call this place Moses Hole. Drive by and you kind of curse it when you look at it. Some of you, you, you know, what comes out of your mouth about where you live is cursing it, not blessing it. I don't like this place. I got to get out of here. I got to get back to where I, I came from. I, I want to go somewhere else. I want to be where there's trees and where it's green. Come on, am I saying anything anybody else in this room has ever said before? Come on, you liars. Right? And what, what starts to happen without realizing it is we're not speaking the blessing of God over the place He's put us. Pray for its peace. Pray for its welfare. For he says this, for in its welfare is your welfare. Right? So if God blesses Moses Lake and the Columbia Basin and Ephrata and Othello and Quincy and Royal City and all Warden and all the cities around us, if He blesses our basin, if He brings industry, if He pours out His Spirit, if He brings an awakening and a revival, all of us will benefit. We need to pray it'll be a blessed land, that it'll be a place that's prospering because God's favor is upon it. Don't curse it, bless it. Make the best of your place. Number four, trust God's Word and not what other voices are saying. Many false prophets were telling the people to throw out Throw off their shackles, you know, cast away their captors, rebel and return to Jerusalem in their own strength. God's message from His Word, from Jeremiah the prophet was, wait, work, and pray until I fulfill my good word. He's like, I'm going to bring you out of captivity. I'm going to do a new work in your life. I'm going to change your circumstances. But you wait, you dwell, you build, you plant, and you pray. You wait on God. Am I speaking to anybody? You see, he's saying, trust the Scripture, trust the Word of God and the God of Scripture to lead you into your future. Again, one of the things that concerns me is, is I feel like we live in a time when we're listening to a lot of other voices other than Scripture. We're listening to podcasts and watching things that are full of cynicism and doubt and death and fear things that criticize Scripture, things that are always putting down the church, things that are always being negative about what God has given us. We look to other voices. Where We live in the time where information is so accessible that many of us have baptized ourselves in the spirit of the age and the culture and what is being told us continually, and we're not putting ourselves in Scripture and letting it go deep into us. We're not abiding in the Word of God. Am I talking to anybody? And then number five, God has plans to prosper you and not harm you. He has plans to give you a hope and a future. What does that word prosper mean? It's the, it's the word shalom, 
Can you say shalom? Shalom in your home. So you won't roam. Fall on your dome. Come on, right? Shalom means well-being. Completeness. Soundness. Wholeness. What does that, that word prosper mean? God says, I want to bring wholeness to your life. I want to bring soundness to your home. I want to bring soundness to your soul, to your mind, to your thinking. I want you to be blessed with peace. That's what he's saying. And I want to give you a hope for the future. See, God's hope and future begins now with whatever you're doing. God's hope and future is not necessarily for you to be famous or have great financial success. You know, one of the things that's such a bummer about the time of social media is everybody's looking for their 15 minutes of fame. We all think, you know, we can have thousands of followers and be known and everybody will think we're great. And it's the time we live in, right? And we're not happy with the normalcy of life. Somewhere we've bought a bill of goods that says that all of us have to be super well-known and successful and have lots of likes and lots of followers. And That's what validates us. That's what gives us value. That's what tells us that our life counts, and it's not. God alone is the one that defines our identity and what counts. And so while we're out there pursuing our 15 minutes of fame, we're missing the moment where God is at work right now in our lives, in our families, in our children, in the people around us we work with. We're missing it because we're so caught up in having that. We think that's what prosperity is. We think that's what a hope and a future is. For some of us, we may end up being very financially successful and followed and well-known, but for most of us, that's not going to happen. God's hope and future for you is to build around your normal day-to-day life things that were mentioned in the text before. What? Your home, your city, your work, your family, all centered around your trust in Jesus. Ultimately, God's hope and future for you is built around an eternity with Him in a universe that's been restored and recreated perfectly for those who trust Him. You can trust God with your future. Listen, let me tell you something. Even if you die young, Even if something strikes you, even if cancer, heart disease, a car accident, if something takes your life young, that's not the end of the story if you're a follower of Jesus. And that's where we have become so attached to the world we live in in this present age that we forget that there's a bigger story being told, that this is only part of it. Because, you know, I'm I'm getting older. I'm getting older and life's passing by quickly. It's like a vapor. I breathe and... One day I'm 30, the next day I'm 40, the next day I'm 50. I can't believe how fast it happened. My children were little ones and now they're adults having children. And I'm going, what happened, God? What happened to life? And he's reminding me it's but a vapor. You breathe and it happens. It goes by like that. One day you're young and the next day you're not so young. And you start to think, hey, maybe there's more to this thing. Maybe there's more to this thing than just what I can get out of now. There's a new world coming. There's a new creation coming. God's going to take every tragedy and turn it around. He's going to take every cursed thing and make it blessed. He's going to take every fallen thing. One day we're going to be in a world that's been so completely recreated and refilled with God that every molecule is going to breathe 
God reigns. God is good. God is love. And that's not pie in the sky. That's not some kind of fantasy. I'm not talking sci-fi here. I'm talking the reality of a world yet to come. And that is the Christian hope. Right? So let's, let's you know, I, I want the kingdom to come. His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven right now. I want to see, you know, evidences of God's movement in the earth. Yes, all of those things are true. But I'm not counting on what I can get out of this. Because I know there's a lot more to come. Amen? And that's your hope, too. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's your hope, too. I'm almost done. Stay with me. Number six, our response is to pray with all of our heart to seek God himself so he may reveal himself to us, listen to us, and bless us. In the midst of these people being surrounded by hostile forces, hostile religions, God told him to pray, and he would hear and reveal himself powerfully. God will often give people a desire for prayer before he's about to accomplish a new work in the earth or in their lives. God tells his people that they'll pray to him wholeheartedly and he'll be found by them in the midst of their captivity. And he says that to us right now. Some of you might feel like you're in a season in your life right now where you are captive. It's already been said multiple times this morning. I think it's so amazing. We've had prophetic word after prophetic word and things in the message and, 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 and things in the offering that have told us over and over, some of you feel like you're in a prison. Some of you feel like you're in a jail. You feel like, you feel like you're behind bars. And the Lord says, I want to deliver you from your captivity and bring you out. That's what God's doing. And that was the case here. And some of you feel that way. And here's what I want to say to you. In your captivity, don't go to your credit card. Well, in your captivity, don't look to someone else to make you happy and set you free. Don't think that another illicit relationship, don't think that porn is going to scratch that itch. Don't think that a hot affair is going to make things better. Don't think that buying that new cool car is going to make life good. Or whatever it is that's your thing, that bottle, that substance. None of that's going to scratch that itch. None of that's going to help you. Why is it we turn to all of those things instead of turning to God in the moment of our need? Instead of being God of the last resort when we face things, when we face circumstances beyond our control, why don't we turn to Him and say, Help! David did it, Moses did it, a lot of other people through Bible history did it. It was good enough for them, it's good enough for me. Cry out to God. Now, he might not do what you want him to do, but what he does will be better than you could ever do. Amen. And that takes me to my last point. The ultimate result is an end to captivity and a return to divine destiny. For these Jewish people, it was a restoration to their land. For us, it's seeing God's glory and power return to His people, that we have a voice, influence, and impact upon our culture again. For you and me, our hope is in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Through Him alone, we can be restored to right standing with God. We can be forgiven and rescued from our captivity to sin. And let me tell you something, you don't just do that one time. Hey, Christian, listen to this. Those of you who believe in Jesus, I know you got saved. But I want to tell you something today. A lot of you need to get saved again. And I don't, mean you, I don't mean your salvation is hanging in the balances. I mean you need to get saved from your current way of thinking, from the bondage that you're in, 
from the sin pattern you've slipped into, for going your own way and living for yourself. You know, some of you, you think you have big goals, but your big goals revolve around you and you alone. They don't have anything to do with changing the world, benefiting another. God looks at those goals and he says, "Those, those are puny. Let me give you some goals that change lives. Let me give you some goals that make the world know my kingdom is near. Amen? So God wants to set some of you free and bring you out of your prison. I'd like you to stand with me if you will. Do any of you feel like God gave you a little bit of hope today? Come on. He wants to prosper, bless, give you a future and a hope. And the future and the hope you seek is found in Jesus Christ. He is our hope. He is our future. He is our joy. See, let me tell you, Christianity is not a religion in the, ge- in the general sense. It's not, it is a religion, but it's not religion. Christianity isn't a way of thinking. It's not a philosophy for life. Christianity is a person. And then in that person is the philosophy of life and how to live and how to think, all of that. But it's all found in a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And he's the one who came to set the captives free. He's here to set you free. 